Welcome to King Me Ministries Audio Devotional. Mark Driscoll claims, God is the only author that's willing to sit with you and explain his writing. I've come to understand that to be true in my own life. It's my goal to share with you God's word and what I believe he is trying to teach me. People are looking for a word from someone who has been with Jesus and who has faced the demons and struggles that afflict us all and who can then offer a word of hope and liberation out of those places. I pray that's what you hear, an imperfect man who has sat with Jesus with an open mind and an open Bible, and who has heard God speak in such a way that I am compelled to share it with you. Brenning Manning says it best. He says, I'm just a beggar telling other beggars where to find bread. If you find any of this material helpful or challenging and you want others to hear it, go ahead and share it. If you have any questions about the topic, go ahead and email me. I'll answer every question. Who knows, maybe we'll use your question on a future episode. Welcome to episode two. I just want to say before we get into today's story how thankful I am again that it's not my story that's on display for everybody to look at and learn from. Chuck Swindoll says that the Bible never flatters its characters. In other words, it always takes that person's story, the good and the bad, and it lays it out there for us to look at in full. Today we're going to take a look at a chapter in King David's life. Now King David is one of my biblical heroes. David was a a warrior. There were songs written about other kings that said Saul had killed his thousands, but David has killed his tens of thousands. David was also a poet, a man who could take the longings of his heart, the worries of his heart, and the joy of his heart, and he could put it on paper, and he could truly express how he felt about God, whether it was his fear, his excitement, just his observations of who God was. And before we start to tear apart David's life in what is probably the most humiliating chapter of his existence, I think it's important to keep in mind that long after this sin had happened, God spoke in reference to David, and he said, David was a man after God's own heart. David, who fell hard, was still considered by God a man after his own heart. What that really helps me hone in on is the sin of David shouldn't shock you. What should stand out, what should be emphasized here is not the sin, but the grace that God offers those that sin. The story of David's fall begins in 2 Samuel chapter 11. It's my goal to just quickly tell you the story of my own words and then to slow down and really look at his confrontation and how he repented before God. The story starts by saying that in the spring and the time where kings would go off to war, David remained home in Jerusalem. David's decision to stay home while his men were out fighting wars, that's going to come back and haunt him. David the warrior had become David the vacationer, and his lack of engagement or his lack of a bigger story makes him susceptible to cheap thrills. And so one night, David is out on his balcony, and he's walking around, and he hears the the sound of splish, splash, splish, splash, and he goes over to the edge of the balcony, and he looks over, and what does he see? He notices a, a young, beautiful woman taking a bath. The Bible actually says that she's very beautiful, and I can tell you that when the Bible says it like that, it means that she was truly a beautiful woman. And David grabs one of his guys, and he sends him down there to inquire about who she is. 
And this guy goes and he finds out who she is. He comes back to David. And it's kind of interesting the words he chooses. He says to David, she is Bathsheba, you know, Uriah's wife. And David doesn't stop there. David decides to send somebody to get her, bring him to his pal, bring her to his palace, and he proceeds to have sex with her, and then he sends her home. And David thinks nothing about his sin at this moment, but as the world works, she uh, gets pregnant, and she sends word to David, David, I'm pregnant, and it's no doubt your son or your child that I'm carrying. And David, in this moment, should have repented. He should have done anything he could have to stop the slide and the impact of his sin. But David concocts this other idea, one that's going to take him further into sin. He decides to send for Bathsheba's husband, who just happens to be one of David's mighty men fighting a war on his behalf. David sends a courier, gets Uriah to come back, talks to Uriah, asks him all the the pleasantries, like, hey, how's the war going? How are things going? And David does this in hopes that at the end of the conversation that Uriah is going to go down the hill and uh, go to his home and that he would in some way lay with his wife. And then nobody would know that it was David's child that Bathsheba was carrying. But Uriah is a better man than David in this season. Uriah can't fathom the idea of going down to his house and enjoying the creature comforts of home and the touch of his wife. So he takes his mat and he sleeps just outside the palace with the king's men. David gets words that Uriah didn't go down to his house, so he takes one more shot at it, gets him drunk the next day, hoping that maybe in his drunken stupor he'd forget and that he'd go down, sleep with his wife, and forever cover David's sin. But once again, Uriah is the bigger and better man, and he sleeps outside the palace. So David, kind of in a quagmire here, he takes his sin the next step further. And what he does is he draws up a letter, hands it to Uriah, tells Uriah to bring it back to his commander. The letter stated to the commander This is what I, King David, want you to do. I want you to put Uriah in the front of the line, and then I want you to withdraw the troops and don't give him the help. In doing this, David knew that he was signing Uriah's death warrant. But he doesn't care. At this moment in David's life, all he could see was his need to cover up his sin. Uriah is killed just as David had planned. Bathsheba gets word. She mourns for him for 30 days or so, and then David takes her to be his wife and to live in the palace with him. Have you ever done something wrong and been caught red-handed? So clear, no excuses, no way out. I remember one time in high school, my senior year, I was uh, decided to skip a class or two, uh, and this had become quite a habit in my life, and uh, in this particular time, I'm sitting out in my car in the school parking lot, and out of the corner of my eye, I see my dad uh, pull up to my car. And in that moment, I was like, I got to do what any normal kid would do. I just pretended to be asleep. Maybe it'll all go away. And to know my dad is to know that my dad never missed work. And so for my dad to show up at the school, you had to know that this wasn't just going to blow over. 
I was busted, caught red-handed, and there was no explanation or no way out. But how about a time in your life that you've done something wrong? Maybe it was skipping school. Maybe it was taking something that didn't belong to you. And while you feel like you got away with it for a season, it just made you feel constantly like you're on the verge of getting caught. Just somebody says something, they say, they look at you a certain way, and you just start thinking, they know. They're aware of my sin. They know that I did what I did. In Psalm 32, one of the two Psalms that David is attributed to writing in the time where he was confronted with his sin with Bathsheba and the murder of Uriah, he says this about the weight of unknown sin. He said, when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave me the guilt of my sin. The Bible doesn't say specifically how much time passed between David's sin and God's confrontation of him. But what we do read in 2 Samuel chapter 12 is the account of God using the prophet Nathan to confront David. Can you imagine getting that job? Nathan has got to go and confront David about his sin. King David has already proved to go through any lengths to cover up his sin. I just can't imagine how nervous Nathan must have been. But 2 Samuel chapter 12 tells us the account. Verse 1 says, The Lord sent Nathan to David. When he came to him, he said, David, there were two men in a certain town, one rich and one poor. The rich man had a very large number of sheep and cattle, but the poor man had nothing except one lamb. He raised it, and it grew up with him and his children. It shared his food, drank from his cup, and even slept in his arms. It was like a daughter to him. Now a traveler came to the rich man, but the rich man refrained from taking one of his own sheep or cattle to prepare a meal for the traveler who had come to him. Instead, he took the lamb that belonged to the poor man and prepared it for the one who had come. David burned with anger against the man and said to Nathan, As surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this deserves to die. He must pay for that lamb four times over because he did such a thing and had no pity. Then Nathan looked at David and said, You are that man. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I anointed you king over Israel, and I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave your master's house to you and your master's wives into your arms. I gave you the house of Israel and Judah, and if all this had been too little, I would have given you even more. Why did you despise the word of the Lord by doing what is evil in his eyes? Nathan didn't directly confront David. He used a story that he knew that David would be able to interpret and see the vileness and the evilness in that story. And he does that. And David responds exactly as David should. This man who did this evil thing should have to pay for this. God goes on to say all that he had done for David, how he had established him as king, how he had given him riches and victories and and talents. And he looks at David, so to speak, and he's like, All of this I gave you, and if it wasn't enough, I would have given you even more. Why did you break my heart in doing this evil sin? In the moments that followed Nathan's confrontation, 
it hits David. The weight of his sin, it being out there and being open, it hits him, and he finally comes to the point of throwing himself on the mercy of God. He knows what he did. He knows what he deserves. How beautiful that David's story doesn't stop there. David pens what I think to be one of the most heartfelt psalms in all 150 psalms. In it, you see so much of David's heart and his understanding of sin, how sin impacts not only him, God, and other people around him. He says in Psalm 51, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions, wash away all my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions, and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you are proved right when you speak, and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time of my mother conceived me. Surely you desire truth in the inner parts. You teach me wisdom in the inmost place. Cleanse me with hyssop, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will turn back to you. As we look at the written account of David's repentance towards God, we must start with Psalm 51 verse 1. David says, Have mercy on me, O God according to your unfailing love. Nothing about this prayer suggests that David comes to God looking to make a deal. He's not bargaining with God. He's not trying to commute his sentence. He's not reminding God of all the great things he did in the past. Hey God, remember what I did with Goliath? He's not trying to explain away his sin. He's not even promising to do better in the future. No, David appeals to God on the only ground that won't crumble the ground of God's grace. Remember it. We shouldn't be shocked at the sin, the decisions that we make, that others have made to step out of bounds when it comes to God. What should stand out, what we should stand in awe of is not the sin, but the grace that God offers. In a time of prayer recently, I wrote this in my journal. My darkest and most broken places do not frighten Jesus away. He is the great healer. He is drawn to those places. He stoops into the murkiest waters and pulls us out. He stains his own hands so that he can clean us and make us presentable to the Father. David knows this. David has experienced this. And David, in the darkest hour of his life, he doesn't turn to himself. He doesn't look at his great accomplishments or make a lot of promises. David turns to the only thing he knows that will withstand. He leans into the grace of God. David is not an anomaly. In fact, if we're honest with ourselves, some of us have sins that rival David's and put us right on par with him. 
Paul says in Romans 3, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The question will never be, do you sin? The question will always be, what do you do after you sin? How you answer that question will always be a matter of life and death. How fortunate David is to have a God who loves him enough to confront his sin. God always gets a bad rap. We think that all of God's rules and regulations are just there to steal our fun. When reality is, God understands what sin does to us, and he wants to do everything in his power to keep us from being hurt. You see, sin always wounds. It wounds us every single time. God's love for David and God's love for us compels God, drives him even, to confront us about our sins and where we miss the mark. As we now start to look at the story of David's repentance, that's the first thing that we notice. David throws himself on the mercy of God. I believe it's safe to say that most of us, when we sin and offend God, we often grieve over the consequences of our sin, but few of us ever truly grieve over the sin itself. I made a short list of things that stuck out as I contemplated David's prayer of repentance. And the first thing on my list is, notice that David admits that it was God and God alone that he had sinned against. Obviously, David didn't sin just against God. He sinned against Uriah, Bathsheba, both of their families, his own family, those who trusted him. David sinned against his commanders, his army. David sinned against more than just God. But all those that David sinned against faded as he considered the greatness of his sin. Spurgeon said, David felt that his sin was committed in all its filthiness while God himself looked on. None but a true child of God cares for the eyes of God. And what we can see in the heart of David is that David truly did care for what God was exposed to when it came to the sin in his life. There's no doubt that David felt the weight of his sin against Bathsheba and Uriah and the other host of people that he wronged. But David was sensitive to the heart of God, and he knew that what he did offended God supremely. The next thing that I notice about David's prayer is David says, I make no excuses. Setting aside my own tendencies to make excuses when I step out of bounds, just looking at the, the, the number of people in the scriptures that we read, every single one of them when they were caught and they stood opposed to God with their behavior, they always made excuses. Moses did it, Abraham did it, Adam and Eve did it. True repentance must start with accountability and this acknowledgement that I have no excuses. As I stand before a holy God who knows everything that happened, all the facts, I have nothing to lean on. I have nothing to push my blame towards. I have to own it all. It's the only true place where repentance can start. The next thing that David does is he accepts the consequences for his actions. He says to God in his prayer, he says, God, whatever you decide is good. David had already been told by Nathan that God was going to forgive him for his sins. But David also knew that there were going to be consequences that he couldn't escape because of his decisions. And so he embraces whatever God has planned for him. 
And in doing so, David is saying that my repentance is not given so that I can avoid the consequences of my sin. He understood that consequences are going to come even when God forgives us. As David's prayer continues, we see that David gets down to why he sinned. He finally admits the origin of his sin. He says, I sinned when I was out of step with you. I have a sign that hangs in our business that says, error increases with distance. Most people that read that think we're probably talking about the axe throwing and archery that we offer, but it's really not about that. It doesn't matter if we're talking about being a husband or a father, shooting arrows, or walking with God. David is highlighting that the farther I get away from you, God, the more susceptible I am to sinning against you and missing the mark, which is exactly what sin is, right? Sin is missing the mark. In fact, sin was, before it was a biblical term, it was an archery term. It simply meant that you did not hit the bullseye. You didn't hit what you were aiming at. And so David is saying, the further I got from you, the more likely I was to sin, and here I am. And I'm here because I made those daily decisions to be in your presence less and less. Once David admitted that it was against God and God alone that he had sinned, when David refused to make excuses for his behavior, when he was willing to embrace the consequences, whatever consequence that God had in store for him, When David finally searched himself and said, this is why I sinned, because I was out of step with you, God, then David starts to do something that I just absolutely love. David asked God to make him new. Eugene Peterson in the message says it this way. He says, God, make a fresh start in me. Shape a Genesis week from the chaos of my life. David has already admitted that God is in the right, whatever he decides to do to David for his sin, whatever the consequences are. But David is asking for something else instead. He says, God, I know that my life has has been chaos and the storm and there's debris everywhere, but I'm asking you instead of or alongside of the consequences that you would use this chaos and that you would create something new in me. Paul Washer said that there is a greater manifestation of the power of God in the regeneration of a man's life than in the beginning of creation. In the beginning of creation, God started with nothing and he made everything and it was good and beautiful. But when God takes a man's heart, he's taking the wickedness and the chaos, the deceit, the destruction and the the vileness And he is making something good and something pure and something that is fit for his presence. David understood that God has made it his business to redeem men. And that's exactly what he's asking God to do. The book of Hebrews teaches us that God's word is living and active. And it's it's always going to teach us something new. So I can read one scripture And I think I get all that I need to get out of that. And I read it again. And God, in his infinite wisdom, always sort of uses uh, that opportunity to teach me something new. That has happened countless times in my life. So as I consider David's prayer of repentance here, I know that there's much, much more to be mined and discovered. Um, But for this particular time, the last thing that I noticed in David's prayer is David promising to make himself and his story available to God. 
And he's offering it to God to use, to teach, and to show other people so that other people can understand God and what true repentance looks like. And so that those that are lost and walking in darkness can find their way home to God. And so there you have it, the story of David's greatest sin and what I believe to be one of the most powerful prayers of repentance. Again, we should never be surprised when somebody sins. We should always stand in awe and amazement of the grace that God gives us. Even the ability and invitation to repent is a gift from God. My own story parallels David's more than I care to admit. I simply hope that my prayer of repentance rivals David's as well. Do I throw myself on God's mercy when I'm in sin? Do I recognize that I have sinned against God and God alone? Do I bring to God my excuses, or do I just stand there completely stripped of any valid excuse? Do I accept that there may be consequences to my sin, and that my repentance is never given to avoid those consequences, but out of a deep desire to be right with God? Do I understand that I am most vulnerable to sinning when I'm out of step with God, when I'm far from Him? I once heard somebody say, you know, the wolf, the enemy, he's not afraid of the sheep, he's afraid of the shepherd. So as a sheep, as a follower of Christ, I must stay close to Him. And then what do I do when I do sin, when there's chaos and brokenness in my life? Do I bring it before God and ask Him, God, will you make me new? Would you create in me a clean heart, a pure heart? Give me clean hands that I can worship you and be right with you. And finally, what do I do when God does restore me, when God does make me new? Do I offer Him my story and say, hey, God, I know that what I did was wrong, but what you did and how you brought me back is beautiful. And I put that in your hands, the whole story, and I offer it for you to use to teach other people, to bring other people an awareness of of what's going on. I pray that you understand the true gift that God has given us in the offer of repentance. Yes, God is holy. Yes, God has standards. God has expectations that his children obey his word. But he also understands us and he understands that we're fickle and that we step out of bounds and we do things that we should not do. And so what does he do? He makes a way for us to be right with him through his son, Jesus. And what we do is we believe in Jesus and we repent. In the book of Mark, Jesus starts his ministry and the two things that he says, he says, repent and believe. Repentance is one of those church words. What repentance means is simply to be heading in one direction, to recognize it's the wrong direction, and then to turn around and head back in the other direction. Repentance doesn't mean that you're sorry about something. Repentance doesn't mean that you uh, feel guilty. Repentance is to take the first step in the direction away from sin and towards God. Sin is something that each human being has to deal with. We're confronted with it every single day. Uh, the temptation to, to do something, to take something, to hurt someone. It's my prayer for you that if you are in a season of sin and separation from God, that you sit down, you pull out the story of David in 2 Samuel chapter 11, and you look at his prayer of repentance in Psalm 51, and you look at what it looks like and what it means to truly turn away from that sin and turn back towards God. 
Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for how your word gives us examples of what it means to be human, both the good and the bad. And we thank you for David's life. We thank you that even in the midst of this incredible, horrific sin that David commits, he was still considered to be a man after your own heart. And, and we can see these, these reasons why you would give David that title. Because even though David fell hard, David had a heart that knew you and he turned back to you and he knew that if he threw himself on you that you would be all that he needed in that and so God my prayer in this moment is for those that us have sinned and those of us that maybe are still in sin that your Holy Spirit would bring this this beautiful conviction this um, revelation of your desire for us to be right with you and through the power and ministry of the Holy Spirit that we would look at David's example and that we would truly turn back to you and we would lay our sin open before you and allow you to deal with it as only you can deal with it. God, we trust you. We know that you love us. We know that your laws and your rules are for us. They're guardrails to keep us close to you. Father, we thank you for your love. We thank you for how you've proven that love with your son Jesus and his sacrifice of his own self on the cross. God, we love you. We adore you. And Father God, we need you more than ever. We pray this all in the matchless name of Jesus. Amen. Hey guys, thanks for listening. If you found today's episode helpful or challenging, go ahead and feel free to share it. If you find yourself in a season of needing to repent and go back to God, and you need somebody to help you walk through that, I'd be more than happy to help. I'll share my story of repentance and maybe help you get started on your own. God bless you guys, and until next time, stay close to God.